Hello and welcome to the RPS Pharmacene podcast, our regular podcast that takes a fresh look at the pharmacene with interesting guests from the world of pharmacy, healthcare and beyond. Now, welcome your host. Hello and welcome to the RPS Pharmacene podcast. My name is Kira Duffy and I'm a member of the English Pharmacy Board at the RPS. This week, we welcome Tanya Thomas to the podcast. Tanya is VP of Global Regulatory and Medical Affairs at Opiant Pharmaceuticals in the US. She studied pharmacy at UCL and completed a master's degree in King's College London, after which she took a post in Barts London as a hospital pharmacist. Tanya then moved back to her native Greece, where she progressed to a role in Head of Regulatory Affairs. In 2003, she moved back to the UK to become a pharmaceutical assessor at the MHRA. She then moved to Pfizer, where she held various senior leadership posts in regulatory affairs. She moved to GSK until she took her current post. Tanya, thank you for joining us and a very warm welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Kira, for this opportunity. So, Tanya, you're joining us from the US. What has taken you from studying in London and you're now working in regulatory affairs in the US? Tell us a bit about it. As you said, I studied pharmacy at UCL and did my pre-reg actually at Barts in the London. Ended up working in hospital pharmacy, you know, at Barts in the London. But I really, really wanted to get into industry. And I had applied to absolutely every single industry job there was at the time. And I just kept getting rejections. So I think at last count, I had like 60 rejections from industry. Very disheartening at the time, but I was very persistent. I ended up taking a role as a translator, a freelance translator, just translating patient information leaflets for a company. Um, And that company then hired me as their in-house translator. And that is how I ended up in my first job in regulatory affairs. (laughs) And as you said, at at some point, um, the MHRA was hiring entry-level pharmaceutical assessor candidates. So I got to join the MHRA, which was this incredible experience and an incredible training in regulatory affairs, sort of understanding why the regulators are asking for to see certain data, what is the message behind the guidances. And while I was at MHRA, I actually, they allowed me to take a sort of mini sabbatical because I wanted to volunteer for the Olympics, which were going on in Greece at the time, which was fantastic experience. And as you said, I then joined Pfizer and through taking on a variety of roles and opportunities at Pfizer, I was very lucky that they offered me this opportunity to relocate. And I relocated twice, once from Europe to the Middle East and once from the Middle East to the US. And that's how I ended up in the US. But regulatory affairs definitely has been my passion for over 20 years. What do you love about regulatory affairs? Oh, I think regulatory affairs is really about translating data into the right product to be given to the right people at the right time. So it's it's really sort of an art. It, it's like you you use your science knowledge and the data that you have, and you have to make it into some kind of story, which convinces the the regulator that this product should be used and and can be used and has a benefit over the risk. So I love to write. 
and I've done writing courses before as well. And you, you really, really end up using your writing skills and your communication skills and your negotiation, but it draws so much on our pharmacy degree, um, especially from formulation development in pharmaceutics, pharmaceutical law, pharmacology for the non-clinical parts. So it's, it just, you end up using all of your knowledge that you learn in pharmacy school. So that's one of the reasons I love it. I see that you have a creative writing qualification from the University of Oxford. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I love to write. And I think that's uh, one of the strengths that has helped me in regulatory affairs. Um, So I was just looking for a course to learn how to write better. And I have actually written a chapter as well in a book on medical writing. So there are different types and different styles of writing that you can learn. This one was creative writing, but there are so many other courses that people can sign up to. Wow, I think it's really interesting that you could do creative writing and how that could then help your career. Um, You mentioned earlier that you volunteered in the Olympics. Can you tell us a little more about the role that you had at the Olympics and what that was like? The role that I had was very interesting. It was doping control. So when you volunteer for the Olympics, they ask you what your background is and if there's a certain area you would like to work in. And so obviously with the pharmacy degree, doping control was um, the most relevant to to my knowledge. And, um, you know, this is a great example of where I wanted to do something and I went and asked for it. So I'm all about you know, the pharmacist advocating for their own career. MHRA would never have known to give me the opportunity to allow me to go and volunteer for the Olympics. But when I proposed it and presented it as a case, this is the knowledge that it's going to bring me. This is what I can bring back to the MHRA. I will give a presentation on this afterwards. You know, it was it was a benefit for both of us. And I really appreciate that they allowed me to do that for about six weeks. This is my advice to young pharmacists. If you want to do something, you have to advocate for yourself to do it because no one's just going to give you opportunities that they don't know exist. I got to do two different roles in in doping control. One of them was doping control officer, which means you're actually at the event. So I was in swimming. So I was at the pool waiting for the race to finish. And then I would, um, you know, specifically have to go and escort the athlete for the next two hours until they made their way to the doping control station to provide their sample, making sure they didn't eat anything other than what I would give them or drink anything other than what I would give them and making sure they didn't run off, of course. (laughs) It was a fantastic experience. So would you recommend volunteering? 100%. On top of the benefits it brings, it also provides you with a sense of purpose, obviously. Yeah, It allows you to get a little bit outside of yourself and not be so self-focused uh, on your career, on your life, you know, helping other people. It's, it's helped me so much in my career and my life. Yeah. And I know the RPS has good links uh, to volunteering uh, on their website. So um, if any of our listeners want to have a look, check in there. Um, can you describe the role that mentors and coaching have had in your career um, as you've moved through all these various roles? Have you had consistent mentors, consistent coaches, or how has that worked for you? So I've had some very strong role models in my life from the beginning. In terms of mentoring, I have, I've had different mentors throughout my career at different stages of my career. 
And I think that's because I have needed different guidance at different stages of my career and also having moved so much, you know, reaching out to specific mentors who knew the market, for example, in the Middle East, who could help me there. Then when I moved to the US, I needed a different type of coaching and mentoring. So I have, while I've had consistent role models my whole life, I've, I have reached out to different mentors. You've mentioned that you've moved countries. What were the main challenges that you encountered uh, with these big moves? I think that relocation in general is very, can be very overwhelming. So you're moving country, you're learning a new, new language sometimes, you're learning a new culture, having to make new friends and, and simple things you don't even think about. Like I had to redo my driver license Ooh. in Dubai and the US and you know, I failed my driving license in the US. How frustrating is that? I can drive, you know, um, yeah. simple things like that, that can throw you off without you having planned for it, or you're not expecting that. But the biggest surprise I think for me was, so we relocate for jobs, but we don't think about the job. We think about everything else, like the country, where am I going to live? Where am I going to put my child in school? But I took on a new type of role when I moved to the US and it, didn't exactly fit with my strengths. And so on top of having all of these challenges of moving to a new country, I also was in a new role that I didn't really, um, I wasn't just very good at. Um, And so that caused me more challenges. So I think what I would say is just realize that it's not only about the moving the country, it's usually also about taking on a new job and you have to learn all the new job too. So my advice And this is what I do in my life now, but my advice to anyone relocating is if possible, you can negotiate with your employer to maybe start the job from your home country and then move a little later, six months later, a year later, because it allows you an opportunity to get to learn the job first, get Mm -hmm. to make your contacts and then have all of that huge challenge of, you know, all of the other things. You mentioned there that that job didn't really fit with your strengths. How did you identify that and what did you do to remedy it? This is an opportunity where I can actually bring in a book that uh, is fantastic. It's called Strengths Finder. It's also a course that you can do. But um, I don't think I was ever thinking about what my strengths and weaknesses were because I always did really well. I think lots of pharmacists are like that where type A personalities and we just always want to do well. And so for me, not doing well in my head was a huge challenge. And I didn't realize it was just that I was in the wrong job for myself. Mm. Um, I think I spent a lot of time thinking about it and, you know, trying to trying to work at it and just eventually feeling like and doing the strengths finder exercise at work, actually. I prefer being in control of things from from start to finish. I get um, satisfaction from completing tasks. So I'm much better in a country role rather than yeah. a, a much higher strategic role. That's what it taught me. In the end, I, I requested to be moved back into a country role. And so I moved into the US. Although most of us are never going to be in the situation where we're making those huge relocation moves, I think most of us will experience times of our lives where we will have many different plates spinning at the same time and times where you have huge changes in your life and aren't really in control of them what advice would you give to people who are going through 
periods of that at the minute, how do you find your baseline and keep yourself sane when everything else is quite difficult? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's something I spend a lot of time on, actually. I think you have to manage your own personal energy. Um, And I think that's different for every single person. So it's about knowing yourself and knowing what situations or what habits are good for you. And I always say this, uh, choose the good habits. So I know that sleeping eight hours a day is going to make me feel better the next day than going out. Yeah. Um, You know, and I make sure I do that every day. I know that, you know, there are certain habits that I, that I have put into my life. Sometimes when I have a lot of meetings and I'm can feel myself getting stressed. So it's all about self-awareness as well. I go and do a 10 minute meditation. I work out every morning before work because I'm sitting in a chair in regulatory affairs. You end up sitting most of your day. So I make sure that I wake up early and do my workout before work because otherwise I end up being stiff at the end of the day. There are so many little things like that that I've found that work for me. But at the end of the day, I think it's very personal, but I think you have to be very conscious about it. It's something that if you're not conscious about managing your own personal energy, it can just, you know, fly out the window. And then that's when you start feeling overwhelmed. I think coming out of the pandemic, we are starting to see people taking a lot more care of their well-being. And that's really positive. Have you noticed the same change? Yes, definitely. I mean, I can see that uh, there's a whole push towards, you know, well-being and wellness I also just wanted to say here, there was, it's because you mentioned finding structure when everything's chaotic around you. If you just Mm. find some structure, I have to say, and I want to thank the RPS for this. When I had my moves, I was always able to go to the RPS and get support um, on being an overseas pharmacist from the RPS. And I always had that sense of belonging to a profession, which definitely kept me stable. And I just wanted everyone to know that that resource is out there because I did not know there was that resource there. And I found it extremely helpful. Can you tell us a bit about what a typical day in your role looks like? Because I'm based in the US, typically my mornings start early. And in the morning, I usually have meetings with the European teams. So for example, a typical meeting would be a project meeting on a drug development project and the project manager will take us through a timeline of activities and each function will give an update on where we are with our activities. Sometimes there will be specific meetings on specific issues that we have to discuss which are usually risk-based decisions. So you go through the different options, what are the pros and cons of the options and I, I always like working to a very specific agenda and very specific asks and actions coming out of the meetings. So then writing up meeting minutes, writing up agendas as well, and then making sure that the next steps are clear. Um, And then because you're making these decisions, usually you need to get the approval of your senior management as well. So then there's a lot of presenting your case to senior management or senior leaders. And so I think that's something in regulatory affairs that I wasn't ready for, but that's something that we do on a daily basis. You know, you're constantly presenting your case and communicating. So you do really need to have good communication skills, both written and verbal. And so you're you're doing a lot of writing, a lot of reading of guidances. 
if you get a question from a health authority, a lot of reading that question over and over and understanding exactly what information the health authority wants. How have you developed your leadership style? Oh, my leadership style, I think, is very situational. Uh, and I think I've developed that because I've adapted to so many different countries, cultures. So, for example, in some cultures, the leadership style is very authoritative. And just a little note, when you get employer assistance on relocation, they actually give you culture training as well. So that really helped. When I moved to the Middle East, I was given culture training on what the management style should be, which is obviously very different from the US. And I actually struggled with that when I moved to the US, because in the US, it's very much about influencing through a matrix okay, and influencing without you know people reporting to you, without a direct reporting structure. So I really had to work on that skill while I was in the US. And it's really in the end about showing someone what's in it for them and and getting to a common goal. And that's how I found it most successful to influence others. If you always put the goal of the ultimate goal for the patient or the company in front of you, you always end up making the right decision. That sort of has, that key has helped me make very difficult decisions in my career. Do you feel that being a pharmacist has added another dimension to your role in regulatory affairs? Honestly, I hire mostly pharmacists in regulatory affairs. I think that we get a fantastic training in terms of the content of the pharmacy degree. So Mm. I mentioned those specific parts before, but also our writing skills, our communication skills, and ultimately we see the bigger impacts of what we're doing in industry. So um, we mentioned hospital pharmacy before. That experience of being a hospital pharmacist really taught me, I mean, it showed me what a dr- the impact a drug can have on someone who's sick, who's in ER, who's got cancer. And I always go back to that if I'm ever stuck in like the bureaucracy or the <laughs> meetings or the governance. And I think, what am, you know, why am I doing this? It's always because you're trying to get something on the market, which is going to make someone better. That's the whole point. It's all about the patient. Your company are involved in treatment of drug addiction. This is really topical at the moment and has been highlighted with the recently released series uh, around the US issue with opioid addiction. What role can pharmacists play in the fight against opioid addiction? As you said, I've recently joined a small company focused on addiction, which is called Opiant. Um, At the moment, As you mentioned, there is this significant U.S. public health crisis with opioid overdose, and that's been exacerbated by an increased availability and abuse of synthetic opioids, uh, for example, fentanyl. But the annual drug overdose deaths, just to give you a statistic, has now surpassed 100,000 between May 2020 and April 2021. It's crazy Mm. and shocking. Mm. I was reading in a report yesterday that it, it is also coming through counterfeit products in prescription opioids. And I, another statistic is that uh, between 8 and 12% of those treated with prescription opioids for chronic pain develop opioid use disorder. Mm-hmm. So there is absolutely a role for pharmacists here to challenge, to check, to make sure that the person who's getting this prescription opioid is on it for the right reasons and not on it for too long. There's a role for pharmacists, as you say, 
to increase awareness of opioid use disorder and addiction, uh, education, and in terms of treating opioid overdose, I, I, I think it's up to all of us, not just pharmacists, like every single person, if you see someone having an opioid overdose, you should be uh, administering an opioid reversal agent. But um, in terms of specifically pharmacists, you know, these are all the things that I can think of. But I, there are so many young pharmacists right now who are so tech savvy and millennials who are mm. so creative. And I think there is this opportunity here for pharmacists to think of solutions to this problem. Yeah. What is the best piece of advice that you've been given? I really like the advice that I was given recently, uh, which is assume positive intent. So going into a meeting, going into a job, always assume positive intent. When you do that, things just happen differently and you end up in a place where you can actually make a, a really good, you can get a really good outcome. The other one I would just give to um, you know any pharmacist who's listening to this is this really helped me spend we're all doing so much right um, some of us are parents we have careers we have we're doing so much spend your energy on what brings you closer to your goal make sure you're focusing on the activities that will bring you to what you want to achieve that has helped me on a practical level. What advice would you give to someone who's inspired by your journey, be it your career pathway or indeed relocating? I would definitely say take the risk. Make sure you are consistent. So you don't have to excel at your job. You don't have to excel. You just have to show up consistently. That's another good piece of advice. Show up <laughs> consistently. And when an opportunity shows up, your manager or another senior leader, a mentor maybe, will come to you and think of you for that opportunity. And when that opportunity comes, always say yes. Don't self-sabotage. Then the other thing is if you see every challenge or failure as an opportunity to learn, then you can't go wrong. Exactly. It's what, you know, we learn via making mistakes, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. Tanya, thank you so much for your time today. This has been such a great conversation. We've covered such a lot, relocation, positive intent and volunteering. Um, and it's been really great to hear your feedback on the RPS and how they have assisted you in all those changes. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it too. Thank you for listening to the RPS Pharmacine podcast. Let us know who you would like to see interviewed by using the hashtag RPS Pharmacine on social media. See you next time.